Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. I am so happy to have Kate Conti back on the show. Another cat cafe mystery. These are just delightful. You don't have to be a cat lover, but it really helps. A tale as old as crime, gone but not forgotten. Kate, you have done such a wonderful job of mixing many different things that you clearly know a lot about and care a lot about. And one of them is meditation. And the book starts with meditation. And before you know it, there's a death and a mystery and cat hoarding. And so let's just talk for a minute about Zen and yoga mats, which are on the cover of the book and meditation. Is that something you do yourself? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me back. I really love being here and talking about the books with you. Um, yeah, so I had, I got into meditation, I don't know, geez, a long time ago, eight years maybe, um, after years of thinking I should do it, but never knowing how to do it and, you know, always thinking I was doing it wrong. And right, all that. right. Um, I, I, can, so. I can totally relate. Or, or me in my case, I just don't have time for that. <laughs> the opposite of yeah. what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I finally figured out, though, that, you know, you can't really do it wrong and that it, it really saved my life. And so, you know, that led me on a path to yoga. And um, I met this amazing traditional Chinese medicine healer where I learned Tai Chi and Qigong. And, you know, you'll see some of that in this book with, yes. um, with my character of Cass. And so, yeah, so I am a fan of all of those healing practices for sure. Well, I love that it's in there and it feels so organic and genuine and like it had to come from you, not you thinking, be kind of cool if the character had this or that, uh, you know, hobby or passion. It's It seems so much a part of it. When you say it saved your life, do you mind saying what you mean by that? Yeah, I just, I was in a really bad place a few years ago, <clears throat> um, probably five, five, six years ago. Um, just with a lot of things going on in my life and, you know, all kinds of situations that I just felt like I had lost control of. Um, and I didn't really know how to handle it. And so I turned to Gabby Bernstein. Um, she's a spiritual teacher and a meditator and a motivational speaker. And um, she had kind of come into my orbit through social media. And I just started listening to her and I loved her, her talks and the way she 
thought about life and, you know, tried to help people um, find that peace and, and that, that calm to, to get them through any kind of situation. And she did a lot of meditations. And so I started meditating with her meditations daily. And then I, you know, joined the Insight Timer meditation app. And I was Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that there was such a thing. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, this app is amazing. It's got so many teachers on it. Um, there's all kinds. There's guided meditations. There's music meditations. There's They do live classes, so you can do a yoga class on it. It wow. really is very cool. You know, what's yeah. really cool to me is that our love of cats can lead us, well, of course, to find an author who is deeply steeped in the love of cats, but also to other things. We learn other things because you have learned other things. I mean, there's a lot in the book about TNR, but also about hoarding and a kind of compassionate look at hoarding because that's what we need. It's a, it's a mental health issue for the human. And you clearly either have experienced it, you know, seen it and then heard and learned about it from social workers or animal control people, or you have read a lot about it because you, I think you bring to the situation the woman who gets killed, it's not a spoiler alert, is a hoarder. And I think what's really brilliant is that it you don't describe the typical hoarding situation. There was one when this show, when Dog Talk and Kitties 2 first started back 14 years ago, there was somebody um, in part of the Hamptons, the kind of less fancy part of the Hamptons, who had what she called a rescue, and lots of people were giving her money only to discover when the house burned down, killing many of the animals in it, that it was, it had a blanket of feces and hair and just, you know, a disaster inside, like the most disgusting thing you could ever imagine, and outside. So talk about what to me is really brilliant, the way you describe the, the murder victim. The house looks great, and there's some outdoor cats, and yeah, they're bothering the neighbors, but talk about is that something you had learned about or an idea that you had? I really like the fact that hoarding to a hoarder sh- should almost maybe also be hidden. That might be part of the yeah. of the psycho problem. Yeah, and it's the it's the dark. What I learned, right, is it's you know there, it can be many things, but from my perspective, um, it can it's the dark side of rescue, right? So, you know, people Absolutely. who are going to rescue have have big hearts and and everyone wants to help, but sometimes depending on how they're coming at that right it's it's going to take on a different meaning so what does it mean to help you know at one point in my in my own life you know for me to help meant to take in as many animals as I could and it has to be me that saved them and that's honestly I mean I wasn't a hoarder but that got me into some financial trouble right because then you got to take care of all of these babies right so um, other people you know sometimes they're looking at this and they're thinking that they're genuinely thinking they're doing good. And so this situation that I wrote about came from an actual um, experience that I had with someone who was in the rescue field and, you know, was pretty well respected and, you know, uh, had a reputation for trying to help, you know, as many animals as possible. And I had gone to this person's house once to pick up some medication and um, unbeknownst to this, this person, someone let me into the house, which apparently they weren't supposed to do. And when I went in the which is a beautiful house, it was, you know, a very big house and a nice area, very well taken care of. There were landscapers outside when I pulled up, you know. Um, but then when I went inside, there were there were a lot of cats. And so at first that didn't freak me out, right? Because I, I had a lot of cats too, right? But then, <laughs> right. I <laughs> I was told to go down to the basement to, to find this person. 
And oh my gosh, when I opened that door, it was a complete, it was almost like, you know, the, the house of horrors where upstairs looks great. And then downstairs you've got some really bad things going on. That's what it looked like. There were, there was just cats everywhere. There was vomit all over the walls. I mean, wait, wait, I'm going to read that section in the book because you don't like to read aloud from your book, but there is a, your description. <laughs> I'm just not in the, good at it. I, that's all I, I right. I know, I, I'm good at writing it down. I'm not that good at acting it out. <laughs> but you know what's really good is that there's not that many people who can write well and lots of people who can read well. So you just stick to what you're doing. <clears throat> and um, I do a little of both, but I'm very happy to to read this. It gives a sense of what happens when <clears throat> a hoarder <clears throat> excuse me, is discovered. So she's come into the house um, where... This lady has been found dead at the bottom of the stairs, and the cops want to think the local cops just want to think it's an accident. But turns out that the the cat rescue community thinks something more is afoot because the woman was a hoarder and really annoying. Her neighbors with cats running around pooing everywhere. I shut the door and looked around. The house was small enough that I could see the rest of the downstairs from where I stood: kitchen, living room, bathroom, the stairs leading to a second floor, at the foot of which was where Laurel's body had rested. I shivered and turned away. When I did, I noticed another door off of the kitchen. This one had a cat door in the bottom of it. I crossed the room and tapped on the cat door. Locked. I gingerly pulled the big door open. A dark stairwell confronted me, likely leading to the basement. From the cobweb that greeted me, it didn't look like a nice finished one, and from the smell of it, this was where the cat hoarding would be obvious. I was certain I'd found my answer to where the litter boxes were hidden. I guess she kept certain cats upstairs, whom she let outside, while the remainder stayed down there. I grimaced and flicked the light switch at the top of the stairs. A bare, dim bulb came on. Bracing myself, I started down. I used my phone flashlight for some extra visibility and crept down the steps, praying no spiders were jumping into my hair. I hated basements like this, the dirty, unfinished, serial killer hiding place basements. And I heard noises coming from below, which were creeping me out. I assumed it was just cats, but then realized that all too many horror movie stars had comforted themselves in similar ways before meeting hideous demises. I paused and shined the light around before I hit the bottom of the stairs. In the wake of my flashlight's swath of illumination, I could see what looked like vomit stains along the walls and stairs, as if the cats had gotten sick and no one had cleaned up. My stomach lurched a bit, and I tried to breathe through my mouth instead of my nose as I got to the bottom of the steps. My heart sank as I looked around, my eyes finally adjusting to the gloomy light. Cats filled the entire basement. Cats in makeshift cages made out of extra pieces of fencing, cats hiding in missing ceiling panels above me, with only the twitching tip of a tail giving away their presence, cats scrambling for cover wherever they could find it at the sight of me. If I'd felt the presence of multiple cats upstairs, that was nothing. It definitely looked like these were more than 60 cats just down here alone. And not only were there cats, but a plethora of litter boxes and food bowls. Litter boxes were lined up against the length of one whole wall. Litter was scattered around the floor, and I could tell the boxes hadn't been scooped in a while. Or maybe just since last night, because there were so many they'd filled up again pretty quickly. I mean, you really do set the scene for what would it be everyone's sort of worse expectation of a hoarding situation. And then the book is very much about the politics of how do you get those cats out of there? I mean, can you just take them? Are, are there any? Are they anybody's property? And how do you move that many cats? And and a bunch of them are sick. Was that part of some of the work that you did in the field with cats? 
I mean, I never personally addressed the hoarding situation, but, you know, I heard a lot of stories about it. And, you know, I, I was familiar with situations. Actually, I, there was one when I worked as a reporter, there was one that I had to cover, sadly, that was much like the one you described earlier, where there was a lot of cats and a fire and, you know, bad things happened. Um, so, no, I didn't personally have to do that. But, you know, I, I learned a lot about how um, how different uh, governmental bodies and personal, you know, acquaintances or relatives might see the situation um, and, you know, tried to figure out from Maddie's perspective how she needed to go about rescuing the cats based on that. I think that what, what one of the things that Gone But Not Forgotten um, helps with is that it does sort of see things from everyone's perspective. I mean, the, the people who had put in a new playground with really specialized um, flooring, if you will, or bedding for the children, why would they not be upset that it was full of cat pee and poo? I mean, that's not okay, right? And yet, yeah. you know, and yet, dot, dot, dot. So you, you obviously wouldn't kill somebody over that. And then there's another death. Uh, uh, do you think that it's good to have more than one death in a mystery? Just when you think you're focused <laughs> in on one, and like, oh, Kate, where, where, wait a minute, hang on, you're telling me someone else is dying here. Give me a, give me a minute here. So tell me about yeah, that. Is I there mean... like a, a, a mystery novel rule, like just when you think you're settling in to find the answer to one death, here comes another. No, I think it really depends on the story, right? So I mean, you know, there there are certain points in the story where more and more things have to happen, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you know someone else has to has to die. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm never opposed to more bodies in a, in a story, like <laughs> but but I didn't just put it in there for that reason. It, it actually fits the story. It does. So it does. Just, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I don't, I don't just kill people for the sake of killing them. It has to, it has to work for the whole story. <laughs> well, good. That That's comforting. Is this considered a cozy mystery? And if so, can you explain that? I mean, it doesn't scare you and it's not gross and gory. Is, is that what a cozy mystery is? One that doesn't, you know, have horrible depictions of slaughter? Yeah. So basically a cozy is, um, you know, it gets a bad rap. I think we might have talked about this last time I was on your on your podcast, but sometimes cozies get bad raps for being like too cute. And I definitely don't like to write my books cute. Um, I, I want them to be serious murder mysteries. I want them to be about things. I want yes. people to take something away from them. Yes. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, a cozy is, um, you know, set in a smaller town, right? So it's it's more contained. The people are familiar to the readers. Usually they're a series. It's not just a standalone. I see. Um, and, you know, at the I think the biggest thing is, like, at the end, justice is always done. Oh, nice. Well, that, yeah. That's the but, payoff you know, there's at the no, end. There's, yeah. Yeah, but there's you're right. There's no you know no like on the page violence, no on the page sex, no on the page foul language. Usually, I mean, I push the limits a little bit or try to. <laughs> you brave woman that you are. <laughs> I think I think it's great because it, it's sort of like you can relax into it. Okay, dead body. That's sad, but now let's let's find out. You know, it, it feels more like a good cop show because they don't show things a, a good cop mystery. You know kind of show where it's more about figuring out what happened and how to undo the the peripheral damage, at least certainly where these cats are concerned. I'm also interested in what you used as the model for the setting of the cat cafe, because it seems like it could be Martha's Vineyard. It could in some ways, although not as glitzy, could be the Hamptons, a place that's small and big summer 
groups of people, but the local people have a different sensibility. What did you base it on, or is it totally invented? No, it's actually based on loosely based on Martha's Vineyard for sure. Um, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts. I didn't actually spend a lot of time on the Cape as a kid, and and um, never when I was younger had gone to the island. But I was always fascinated by them, and yes. so when I got older, um, you know, I had to go out and check it out, and and I was like, oh, this is a really interesting place to set a story. So. It's, it is a very small insular world that then explodes with visitors, be they rich or just curious. And that's interesting when, when a community is hunkered down with their problems, whether it's garbage collection or feral cats. And I think it's yep. not really have and have nots. It's people with a vested interest in a place versus those who just pass through and want to buy, you know, a black dog T-shirt or something, or heard right. that somebody famous went there, so now they want to go to that place too. It seems like it's so rooted in the place and of the place and what a local policeman might be like, kind of not so ambitious or, you know, trying really hard. It, what, was the cop someone that you invented out of whole cloth, or was that someone that you had heard about, a cop that was like, eh, no big deal, just one more cat hoarder? To, to bite the dust. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think um, it, cops have been, rightly so in, in many cases, getting a, a bad rap <laughs> in, the, in previous years. And so I just started thinking about, like, what one of those, re- not not bad, but really lazy cops right. might be like and how that might come to life in a place like, um, like Daybreak Island, um, especially... Uh, with the juxtaposition of Grandpa Leo, who even though yes. he's not the chief of police anymore, he's still like, no, this is my town. I will always be the chief. Like, this is going to Yeah, that's what happen. I loved. <laughs> I loved it. Because <laughs> he was he was of the place and still dedicated and didn't like that the other guy was just punching the time clock because nothing so terrible really happens on the island and this didn't even seem so terrible to that cop. It's, it's, it's someone who's phoning it in versus someone who really puts their shoulder in it and, and makes a difference. Well, we have run out of time, Kate, but you have put your shoulder into this book, Gone But Not Forgotten, Another Cat Cafe Mystery. It's really delightful and has many twists and turns that aren't necessarily about the mystery. They can be about hoarding. They can be about meditation. There's lots of yummy stuff in it. Thank you for writing another wonderful book. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me, Tracy. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle, which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.